Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower, as normal. Hey, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Another exciting week, though this time it's more exciting because of technology, not necessarily regulations. So looking forward to the chat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the chat around technology too. It's fascinating. Where have you been this week? Yeah, this week I returned, as you know, from Frankfurt. I spent a few days in New York and New York was super interesting because I spent some time at the Industry Roundtable in, in Wall Street, some top 30 financial institutions around the, you know, from the country. And we had Chatham House Rules, Derek, where it was a very pragmatic conversation in terms of is the industry really there or is just headlines and what do we need to do to progress the agenda? And largely it was about tokenization of real world assets, though no conversation is complete, Derek, if you don't include crypto in that. So we were sort of dabbling between what do we do for crypto from a financial infrastructure perspective and what do we do for real world assets, which is tokenization of existing assets and of course payments, which completes the entire sort of, so it was very, very productive and fruitful. Learned a lot shared a lot of perspectives. And it was a busy day because I went from one industry roundtable to a city ventures, which I was invited for, and some really amazing energy between what city has invested into some of its venture and they're show- showcasing their products. Again, going towards traditional finance. And then I ended up the day with another event from Aptos. As you know, Aptos is an offshoot from the Facebook DM project. Another great event with amazing energy in terms of completely DeFi, but they're trying to address. So it was, it was a good productive yeah. week, I would say, Derek, where Absolutely. we learned, we shared perspective, and we came back with more connections with more meaningful individuals working in this space. Don't you observe along the way that traditional industry, particularly when they look at the space, they like to dissect it and choose what they like. Oh, I like security tokens of real world assets, but, <clears throat> and, and, but I don't really like currencies. And I don't see there's any reason for KYC and blockchain can be used by the banks only, or maybe it doesn't really need to be. And it's kind of like dissecting the body. Oh, I like this body, but it really doesn't need a liver or a stomach or a heart. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. the, the need for <laughs> all of these things to work together seems to still be beyond their reach or beyond their interest. What do you think that is? I'm I'm laughing, Derek, because when I'm dealing with like-minded people, again, this is my cohorts from the traditional finance mm-hmm. industry and folks who are in 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 the space of, of private markets and conversion of real world assets. When we get together, we all agree on things that hey, we should do we could be able to do these things. Of course, we're not lawyers. We we do have some perspective on regulation, but we're not exactly lawyers. Technologists are understanding this. And then we say, you know, this makes sense. We should do it. And everybody agrees vehemently. Until we get in a room with with the lawyers and, and compliance people and say, no, no, you can't do these things. And we had to explain them. It's it's really the same asset 
it has the same filing requirements. We're meeting all the regulatory requirements and all we're doing is tokenizing so we can move faster. And it's even more interesting because then it'll take us three to four to five, six months to explain to compliance and governance people to say, this makes sense. And they say, yeah, this makes sense. Now we go to regulators and they say, no, we can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start all over again. So that's my observation to say, yeah, they all want to dissect to say, if you remove these components, then you can make it work. That's and then right, thinking, if right. you remove these components, then what's the point? We might as well go back to doing what yeah. we've been doing for years. And so this I'm body is fabulous. Because... Just remove its hands and feet and it'll be fine. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, for, for those that are listening out there, I've got to say, you guys are so far ahead of the bell curve because the reality is that the vast majority of people still don't get their heads around this industry at all. And when you're getting grasping concepts of fundamental, how, how blockchains work, how interoperability between blockchains work, how decentralized finance works, the utilization of currencies, the utilization of zero knowledge proof to be able to make these work. And then we keep going up, if I may say so, sort of in, yeah. figuratively <clears throat> speaking, we go up to these dApps, these digital autonomous, these, these, these digital applications, we go to DeFi and then we go to securitization of tokens. You can see they all work together. You can't turn around and say, we love securitization of tokens, but let's remove the blockchain and let's not worry about any proof of identification. And then it becomes kind of pointless. It becomes like a centralized exchange with some cute token attached to it. So <laughs> it really is an, an integrated body of how all of this works. And But before we get there, because I really would love you to talk about a paper you wrote during the week, because I, I found it fascinating. But just for a moment, we'll just quickly update what the market's doing and, and just give us a sense of where we're up to. The market's sitting about 1.17 trillion. It's gone up about four and a bit percent since the beginning of the month, about 4.29 at the time I looked, which was interesting because it was up 10 and a half percent at one stage, because of course, the ripple realization that the SEC didn't succeed in clearly trying to call a commodity a, a security. And so the market had a, a solid rally on it. The volume, you know, turnover is about 34 billion, which was up nearly 50% in 24 hours. It just goes to show you how, how active and volatile the space is. So sentiment driven. Bitcoin represents about 48% of the total market capitalization, still dominantly large slightly disconnected from beta ethereum a lot more connected from to beta of the marketplace and it sits there at about 19 percent and interesting enough the free the fear and greed index is sitting slightly in the green at 56 out of 100. so i mean if that can give you a snapshot of this constantly changing industry that's kind of where it's up to obviously we've seen bitcoin drop from 31 and a half thousand us dollars down to you know below uh, 2900 there for a while and so, you know, it says this is admin, you know, in the middle of sort of China woes and, you know, the Binance story. I, you know, it, I think a lot of it's noise, frankly. I think a lot of it's I noise. So. The fact that it goes up one day down the next day, it's just noise. If you've got a view on it's it. It's just momentum, Derek. I, I, it's just I, momentum. I mean, yeah, to your point, I think a part of, and I researched that too, as to why is this happening? Because we had, if I can use the term ripple effect, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, <laughs> is the fact that, yeah, they had some clarity and, and they were listed now on some exchanges that gave them additional liquidity. Makes sense for it to go up. But utility-wise, they haven't done anything yet. They have one case which has been pending from, you know, past three plus years. 
And Bitcoin, what's interesting in Bitcoin is there's been a lot of projects, especially Lightning Network and taking Bitcoin to the next level. There's a Bitcoin halving happening. There is, you know, the highest, the hash rate has been highest ever of 400 exa hash per second, which is big. Wow. It's quite big. So it's healthy. And so I think just because the, when we had a flurry of this Bitcoin ETF news, Bitcoin inched up and that is just purely sentiment. And that got old after a week and people moved on to the next thing and ripple thing happened. Mm. People went after ripple. And, but I think there are some innovation that to me was quite meaningful that happened last week and early this week, which, which prompted me to, of course, write a bit more about, you know, the, the nexus of technology with blockchain and interoperability challenges. Fantastic. So from that perspective, yeah. I think it's, it's the case, but you're right, Derek, I think it's largely tied to just sentiment and momentum driven movement yeah i mean it's short-term noise it's interesting to commentate but it's short-term noise the thought is that yeah. where's it going to be in six months where's it going to be in 12 months and what's the rationale for it being there i'm much more interested in listening to the likes of kathy woods calculate out what percentage of corporate treasuries might be invested into bitcoin over an x number of year period of time to work out its price than I am about whether China has some woes and the Bitcoin price goes down. But that's the colour of the industry. Hey, Nitin, I'd really yep. like you to talk a little bit about, you know, the the utilisation of, of, of and, the, and the important aspect of blockchain accounting systems, which is what it is at the end of the day, or validation systems, to the utilisation of artificial intelligence. Because we're all excited about AI and we all think yeah. that, you know, yet again, using the sort of Wall Street view, <clears throat> AI is there. Blockchain is there, cryptocurrencies are over there, you know, all of these things don't necessarily go together, but they do. And maybe you take us for a bit of a journey in the in the listening audience and sort of get a, get their head around yeah. how important blockchain is for the utilization of artificial intelligence that will ultimately be doing online business. Yeah, no, no, I think that's so this all stemmed, Derek, when I was working on a proposal internally. I'm a technologist at the end of the day, we look into various technologies and, and figure out as to what really makes sense because there's so much noise that you really have to filter the noise and look into pragmatic elements of application of technology per se. So I had this moniker and you have to look at moniker to buy in and it's just like a sales effort that I've learned over the years is ABC of, of, of digital assets and that's, that's AI, blockchain and cloud. And, and that amalgamates the three technical areas, but then I begin to then focus on some real problems that we're trying to solve. So first, I mean, I, you know, in, in, in writing this article, I spend, of course, when you write less than 1,500 words, you have to really pack in a lot of information and it takes a lot of research, but make two assumptions, right? The first assumption is if blockchain is becoming the transaction and data platform of choice for business networks and a source of trust among partners and market participants and competitors, because at the end of the day, it's a network, then can we use AI? This is the second assumption. The network participants should be able to gain insights, should be able to derive decisions they cannot achieve alone or would need a lot of manpower to analyze and do things. An AI-driven transaction will give rise to new business models and more significant automation opportunities. And what I mean by that is that if, you know, and I, again, I use as a part of the sales effort, the moniker of three I's, is you need a robust infrastructure, which is where the cloud comes into play. Then I need CPU, memory, all the consensus and all the compute power that we talk about, which is the bread and butter of the industry. And then you need the instruments, so the digital assets, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, 
or a tokenized real estate or tokenized bonds or equity. This becomes instruments and how do the instruments move? And the third eye is insights, which means that if I'm moving my transaction systems to be a real-time asset movement mechanism, then I need real-time analytics. I need real-time insights to make business decisions. I need real-time financial crimes analysis, which oftentimes is about connecting the dots. So at the end of the day, when you have this blockchain is chain of blocks and blocks have data. So data is automatically linked, which is not the case in existing financial systems. Mm -hmm. And if that's a transaction system, then can I not model my AI to be able to derive these insights, whether it's for business analytics or whether it's for financial crimes and it's for making the real-time decisions. Mm -hmm. And not only that, and we've seen, and I'll give some examples of crypto projects that have seen this, that if you're going after hyper-financialization of the industry, which is tokenization of everything around us, then the existing tools that the financial industry or the retail industry has is simply untenable to be able to keep up with the velocity and veracity of the transaction processing and data that comes out of it. So you so do that's need a, that's a really a important tool aspect. to deal with it. You know, it's a really important yeah. statement to make. These kind of these kind of separate entities of different banks, different governments, different financial systems, different dollar exchange, these separate entities don't communicate with each other or they don't communicate well with each other. It's very hard to do analytics across all these entities unless there's some third party that's aggregating the data. And then you've got third party aggregation bias right. that might occur. So, so you get down to the absolute fundamentals of this. You've got to realize that you know, a, a blockchain is not just this immutable way of laying down data in a manner that it can't be altered, but it's highly able to be interpreted. Blockchains are there to be interpreted. They're sitting, waiting to yep. be interpreted. What you're talking about is laying AI over these blockchains, many blockchains, and interpreting the transactions to see whether there's interesting occurrences occurring through it, inappropriate occurrences occurring through it. These, yep. these methods all of a sudden make the, the fact that blockchains are working you know, with, without a biased view accumulating information that you know is 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 laid down yeah. in an orderly manner and it's easily interpreted and then from there all of a sudden we can probably i'm assuming get data and access to information that these siloed environments that we currently work in can't yeah now so even in that context eric and again lessons learned from some early days projects that i've been looking into i have to again two camps blockchain for AI and second camp is AI for blockchain. And let me discern between the two, right? <laughs> so blockchain can enrich AI by bringing trust to data models and analytics. You mentioned a few words like bias. You mentioned the fact that if AI models are involved in deriving insights, how do I trust these AI models? How do I explain what we call explainable AI, the decisions that AI makes? And eventually how do I ascertain data ownership? So if I'm truly dealing with this Web3.0 ethos of rewarding people because it's content ownership. WorldCoin is a perfect example, was released, that it's my identity. Mm -hmm. How do I get paid for it? If mm -hmm. an AI model uses my data, which benefits a third party, do I get paid for it? And mm -hmm. so that is what I mean by blockchain for AI, where I'm bringing trust to data, bringing trust to the models, and bringing trust to the analysis that happens 
in as AI processes these things and mm. which implies trust, which implies consent. And I think that, and, and, and because there's a lineage and I actually had worked on a project back in the day when this misinformation, disinformation that oftentimes the news is created and you have associated press that sends a news and then you have a lot of editorial content and discretion that gets applied to that core mm. news and a lot of color is added around that core news, which oftentimes is true and sometimes it's not. So mm. as a consumer of information, that news gets distorted as it goes through the other social media platforms and it gets as it gets forwarded. How do I know what is a real source? And if I can find a way to have to remove the layers of editorial discretion that individuals and ed editors have applied and look at the source, can blockchain help with that? Because now I have the data lineage which yes. is what blockchain does the best in terms of you know applying this technology. And second angle to this is 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 you know AI for blockchain, which is the lion's share of projects like, for example, there was an AI Doge, which we'll not talk about Doge coins, but it's an interesting one, which which looks into analysis. And there's Y Predict, which is taking a pro, a project, a token-based project that allows you to be able to analyze blockchains and find the most optimized use of your investment, figuring out the yield farming, which is the best optimal. Yes. So you're literally using AI for AI, for asset management, wealth management. There's a GRT, which is as we, I love that project, yep. allowing for AI skills to bring the curated models and use them in a network and monetize their skills. There's a multiverse AI, there's an ocean protocol. Some of these protocols are literally the use of AI in blockchain because suddenly I can use all these models. And, and so I think that, that that has just, for me, been enormously fascinating in terms of how those two models are working out and working for a large financial institutions. I think my job is to be able to discern and distill these things and say, we should do these two or three things because it makes sense and because we either cannot hire enough people to do it, it's just, or it's simply not scalable with existing technology sets as we are trying to modernize the financial infrastructure going forward, I think. Mm. So one of the things that people often get confused about is what exactly is AI? Now, <clears throat> I was enormously fortunate to spend four and a half hours walking Petros, around yeah. Hyde Park with Petros Zephos of IBM, and it was an extraordinary time to be able to have this conversation with Petros because Petros immediately said, what we know as ChatGPT are large language models. They're not artificial intelligence, and this is That's why. Great. And by the time I finished the conversation with him, there was no question in my mind that this, these were not artificial intelligence, but extraordinary sets of algorithms that would complete sentences, essentially, at the end of the day. Whether that complete sentences was an entire section of code that it was creating, it was going to be completing sentences. So. So when you're talking about the use of AI, you're talking about the use of the equivalent of large language models to interpret what is happening on blockchain, to provide data, not to suddenly start becoming creative and modifying it, but to actually go in there and look on the, the blockchain transactions and turn around and look for anomalies or look for, look for large mass movements, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what advantage is this going to give anyone along the way, do you think, Nitin? 
Yeah, no, no. I, I and Petros is one of the most brilliant people I've met. I've had some of the most intellectual conversations with with Petros when I was at IBM. Even now, I connect with him. We discuss industry. We look into portfolio analysis and everything else that goes with it. And what are the challenges of that model? He's the one who we have a lot of conversation with Pharma and Finch, which is efficient market hypothesis and on that stuff. But from an AI perspective in general, I think we have a long way to go, and that's why I'm not completely bought into what WorldCoin is trying to do. In fact, I'm not completely bought in to what OpenAI is aiming to do from a perspective of, of even though it's enamored and it's truly brilliant to what they're able to achieve. And I oftentimes now begin to use that than asking Google for say, because Google allows me to go and have my own editorial discretion to pick what I think is right. Yes, yes. But in general, both AI and and blockchain are disruptive technologies, right? And AI is disrupting a lot of automation, disrupting a lot of knowledge work, transcription, audit functions, all these mundane accounting tasks. And I think that blockchain is trying to make these more efficient. So the, 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 the subtle difference between Derek is that blockchain is an efficiency play, that we are trying to modernize a financial infrastructure and transform them into the newer age of what's, what we expect from digital. And I've said this before, that the shift that blockchain brings, it's from digital transformation to transforming digital. So we are transforming digital to what we expect from digital mm. as we are going through this ma- massive hyper-financialization, hyper-connected world that we live in. And what AI does is disrupts that model in again to me they are they are there's a nexus and that's why my paper has talked about the nexus of two technologies is disrupting the economic engagement that we've had with these systems so while blockchain is trying to modernize the accounting systems the financial systems the transmission systems the transaction systems ai is trying to figure out how do i audit and do i really need auditors because i can plug into blockchain and audit the information because it's linked so why do I need this army of massive, expensive auditors? Yes. Can I, you know, make the job easier of again some of the projects that I mentioned, who are replacing a portfolio manager or an asset manager or wealth manager, only because they have much higher level of intelligence and much more real-time ability to process. So they are dealing with the involvement of the economic players, actors who are involved. And I think that this could really change the way the systems work, but also the actors around the systems work. So it's a matter of a decade, Derek, where you'll find an emergence, I think, only because we've seen the exponential explosion in this space. It's a matter of a decade or 15 in our lifetime that we will see the nature of all these actors, whether they're auditors, whether financial advisors, whether it's asset managers or administrators, people who are simply doing fund accounting and administration, which is a massive business, as you know, around the world. I see all that at at the precipice of disruption. And I'll say one more thing, Derek, and I'll pause. And that is, if you look at the cost of running our existing financial system, there's our global cost of CSDs and exchanges and broker-dealer networks and custodians. It's about a trillion dollars is what the industry spends just to keep the systems up and running so you can move money and buy assets around the world. And that is, again, not free of friction, if I can use that term. And if the combination of blockchain and and 
and AI can can even give me 10% efficiency, that's my ROI. I can mm. still do a lot of a lot of good, I think. So mm. we'll see. This is extraordinary. It's, 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 it is very much in keeping with what we were talking about before, the, the fully integrated aspect of the space. The fact that this space is essentially an in, in, enormous Lego block environment. You get this certain block, which is a blockchain. You can bolt on artificial intelligence to it. You can bolt on decentralized finance to it. You can bolt on KYC and AML through zero knowledge proof to it. You can keep bolting on these various applications to it so that it works more efficiently and more autonomously consistently. And, and that is what we're talking about here. We're talking about not just, as you say, the blockchain actually correctly laying out and recording all these transactions or events, but then being able to interpret it effectively. And you don't want to go in and sort of physically interpret it yourself. You want, you want sets of, of, of large language models to go in and do the analysis of it and come out with an outcome which is going to be beneficial to you. And yes, these giants, the likes of PwC and Deloitte's and these, you know, the big four and the big fives that set around the place, you know, they, their, their prime business is auditing. Yet what we're talking about here with blockchains will either negate that need or dramatically reduce it, which is going to be intriguing. So it means that there'll be an awful lot less auditors and those auditors are going to have to be a lot more savvy in being able to interpret transactional blockchains to be able to provide their answers. We've got a long way to go to get there, but we do know that when we look at technology, we, we expect it to occur faster than we expect. And then of course, when it does occur, we underestimate the impact of it. And I, I can see that occurring in this area here too. Yeah. And so finally, we talked a little bit about, and we're gonna do a bit more of this soon. We talked a little about CCIP, so cross-chain interoperability protocols. Now, so yeah. those that are listening before you go, oh no, that's an acronym that's just too much. <laughs> I'm gonna move on from here. You know, I can't take it any longer. The fact of the matter is it's actually hugely important because the ability for these, these blockchains that we're talking about right now to interact or be interoperable between each other is extremely important because there'll be many blockchains, not just a half a dozen, and they need to interact seamlessly. And as a user, we don't wanna know or care about such interaction. However, it's been an enormous leakage of wealth, hasn't it, through hacking over a period of time. And so, so what's the problem, Nitin? And of course, what's the solution? And Chainlink plays a role in that because I know you've yeah. worked with Chainlink on this. Yeah. So I think interoperability, it's a decade-long problem and as slowly these solutions are coming to fruition. And that is an evolution that I've seen this in my lifetime being in blockchain world. So there are several cross-chain strategies that are used to increase the level of interoperability. And when I say interoperability, We've talked about Bitcoin and Ether being economic systems. These are yes. nation state status that we've given to yes. these attracting capital, attracting talent. And the only challenge is that the value creation, whether it's economic value and technical token creation in these networks are confined to the network. So in with the analogy of our world, when we leave a country, we go to a different country and we change currencies, we go through some sort of a currency exchange at the airport or, or near a hotel, and they skim a few fee to change the currency. We are not just changing instruments, the physical instruments, which is token of sorts, which is fiat, your currencies, but you're also 
interoper you know you're you're making the economic system interoperable so a, a australian dollar is an economic system and you're going to indonesia and that's an economic system and mm -hmm. they value the currencies differently and you're when you transfer the 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 physical currency you're also transferring the economic systems in terms of how it translates into it similarly in the blockchain the interoperability element the challenge was that how do i take a value from bitcoin ecosystem and move to ethereum ecosystem and as an example and there've been various attempts right so broadly speaking what that has done over time is it had created all kinds of liquidity fragmentation it had created vulnerabilities where i don't have to no longer worry about you know hacking personal accounts as long as i can find these bridges and attack the bridges from a technical standpoint so i can steal mm. you know the the tokens from both the ecosystem because bridge is a connector between mm. two ecosystem for instance so blockchain generally are closed systems which makes it difficult to bring reliable external information into the chain without a trusted third party and chainlink early days one of my favorite projects was about bringing market data so for example if i'm moving a token from nitin to derek it has to meet certain requirements and for that requirements it needs data we need trusted data otherwise anybody can fake that data and force the transfer of tokens from nitin to derek and they were coming up with oracle but they recently announced and actually not just them but the three other projects something called ccip and they've been working with swift which is your favorite protocol for for money transfer derek which is not it doesn't mean fast it does not mean fast. <laughs> mean fast. And so there are four basic strategies. First strategy is sidechain relay solutions that implement bridges that primarily enable portable assets from one chain to another chain. So, you know, we've seen PTC relays and rainbow bridges. And by the way, they also have been attacked in the past. The second has been notary schemes, which are mechanisms where a trusted entity or a set of trusted entities is tasked with notarizing claims such as an event X happened on blockchain A, ergo, I'm going to move the asset. And Thorchain is an example of that. The third you know, strategy is hash time-like contracts, which is basically, I can't move a Bitcoin because technically I have to do verification validation. So it's a technical problem. So I'm going to lock the Bitcoin in one chain mm -hmm. and create a wrapped Bitcoin or have mm -hmm. equal in value of Bitcoin of Ether in one chain. And that way I don't have a double spend problem. I cannot spend both the money. I can lock it. And that's where oftentimes challenges have happened. People have found vulnerabilities on those, on those whether it's locking mechanism or, or trust mechanism that conveys to say, hey, let me just remove the lock by sending some information. And the verification validation happens. Suddenly now you've released these tokens, which are meant to be locked, for instance. Mm. And the last one, which is what has been going on for a decade with Polkadot and Cosmos, is blockchain of blockchains. So I have a blockchain. I'm connecting the blockchain to other blockchains. And if you want to be able to, it's like a hub model. If I want to move from any chain to any chain, I send my information to this single central blockchain and the blockchain eventually moves the asset by similar mechanisms in terms of having verification validation. So having this complexity of these things last year, we discussed and every year at the end of the year, I take inventory of all the vulnerabilities, all the hacks, economic loss for blockchain. Mm. The industry lost about $700 billion or so, because as you know, the market cap was $3 trillion. Some of that was economic loss. Some of that was pure old fraud, 3AC, FTX, Luna, the entire contagion of incompetence as we labeled it. Yeah. And 
lion share which was which was amounted to about 1.4 to 1.8 billion dollars were these vulnerabilities which is interoperability elements so what ccip is one of the protocols and polygon has their own liquidity aggregation uniswap did this at the application layer is trying to bridge those gaps and have a much more secure and scalable model for not only creating a web of trusted network between various smart contract protocols, which is between chains. But what's exciting is that they are looking into, and I've been heads down in understanding how do they do, how do they bridge the gap between the messaging system, which is SWIFT and ACH and existing financial system that allow messages, is how do they bridge the gap between the two? So that has been exciting. And, and I think that of all the tokens, Chainlink's value went up, not because of ripple effect. It went up mm-hmm. because it was innovation. And innovation mm-hmm. had a promise, which is still to be fulfilled because it's recently released. So we still are learning more about this. But it has a promise of increase in utility. It has the promise of, of solving some of the key problems which again benefits the token that drives the project per se. Yes. So I'll pause here, but super exciting week, by the way, from innovation perspective, I think. Look, it's it's look, it's so fascinating. So, you know, you and I are bouncing these ideas around. We started off by saying that traditional finance just really struggles with the fact they just want to decomp decompartmentalize different sections of this industry and say, oh, I like blockchain, but I don't like currency. Oh, I like decentralized finance, but I don't like anything to do with interoperability. Not, and, and I like zero knowledge proof, but on the other hand, I don't want anyone to analyze my data. It, it's, it's, this is extraordinary, the fact that this industry is truly like a human body. It just works better and better and better when you resolve these issues, these, these, these arteries and veins that exist between sovereign states in the form of um, you know, Ethereum protocols and the, the, the dApps that are getting produced of it in, in the form of how you transfer assets around either real world assets or whether they're currency assets or whether utility tokens, they're just methodologies of transferring digital assets around. And when you start getting an understanding of just how integrated this entire space is, and how strong it becomes, you can start realizing, if you look backwards towards what we've got now, how fractionated and how segmented our existing financial system really is, um, and how difficult it is to analyze and get meaningful data out of it. Then it's been fascinating as normal. You know, I, I, if, if, if the audience each time starts to get an understanding of just how powerful a fully integrated digital asset environment is so much more than these, you know, intergovernmental, interdepartmental, interbank systems are out there, then they're going to start understanding really the potential of this and realize that the generations to come particularly are going to be immersed in this space. I hope that when I'm in my 80s, I'm going to have, you know, my digital wallet on the phone, which I've got now, and it's going to be loaded with my assets, my bearer assets of everything, and in such a manner that that I have control over them versus dealing with the bank on each one of these aspects. And I've got nothing against banks. They've often been very good to me in the past. I just see that this is an evolution that we can all benefit from. 
gosh, I'd even like to talk about democratization of assets, but let's leave this for another time along the way. No, no, I love banks. I mean, I, I'm getting paid. So I yeah, that's right. Check, Derek. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not against we banks love at banks. all. We I just want to make that them, clear. <laughs> I want to make them better and I want to make them more efficient. And that's essentially... <laughs> <laughs> very nicely said at the end there <laughs> oh terrific all right i look forward to seeing you next okay. week Nitin. likewise derek have a good week bye-bye bye for now we hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation if you have any questions comments or suggested topics please contact Nitin gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our linkedin profiles feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.